So anyway, so we are going to continue along the lines of what we've been talking about. Pastor was talking uh, about being built different, and we're going to continue that today. So um, that's where we're headed. We're, we're headed into week four, actually, and I think um, there's a lot to be spoken about uh, being built different. There's so many areas of our life where we can be built different. Um, question, how boring would it be if every tree, bird, building, car, shirt, everything else was the same? Like, what if every Sunday, every guy wore the same blue shirt? I mean, it'd be, and it's kind of <laughs> inside joke for some people. Um, what about people? What if everywhere you looked, you saw you? Be kind of weird, right? Be like a bunch of me walking around. Be kind of weird. Ultimately, though, it would be boring, right? Be kind of boring. Um, but, you know, our culture wants us to believe that same is good. Uh, that everyone should have the same abilities and that even if they don't, that everyone should still get the same trophy, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it, how we've ended up here. I don't know, but, um, but let's face it. I don't have Michael Jordan's abilities, right? Um, or LeBron's or whoever else, if you're into second or third or whatever best, but I think I just struck a nerve with some people. All right. All right. All right. I'm just joking, man. Y'all lighten up. It's, it's Okay. No, I, I, I can't even hardly dribble, all right? I'm sorry. I just don't have those abilities. Never really got there. I don't know. Um, but so I don't have those abilities. I am a runner, so, I, you know, I can't dribble and run down court. I can run, and I've done a lot of running, but I'm still not as fast as Usain Bolt, right? I mean, let's face it. Nobody is as fast as Usain Bolt. He is the fastest. Um, some people are just built different. Some people, the normal physical limitations don't apply. I think of Chuck Norris, I, which reminds me. Did you hear that Chuck Norris, um, he, a cobra once bit him in the leg? And after five days of excruciating pain, the cobra finally died. <laughs> normal physical limitations don't apply. Some people are just built different. Look at it, Olympic athletes, right? Um, how do they get to that level of performance? How do they get there? It's, it's, it's discipline. It, it's determination and even DNA. I mean, they, 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 sometimes there's a fine line between an athlete and a psychopath. I mean, it, there's, a, there's a fine line there sometimes uh, when you get to that level. Um, you know, they practice extreme discipline and exercise and diet, determination to get up and run or bike or swim or whatever it is they do, even when they don't feel like it. Um, and no Krispy Kremes. That's it right there. I'll never be a, an elite athlete. I can't give up my donuts. I'm sorry. You know, I run so that I can eat donuts. I don't, you know, there's a, there's a difference there. <clears throat> and DNA, even DNA, your genetics determine your body's capacity to process oxygen. It's actually in your genes how well you can process oxygen. Elite athletes usually have a higher concentration of certain genes that give them a better oxygen efficiency. They're built different on the cellular level. That's just, it's just wild to think about uh, different DNA. Some plants and animals thrive in an environment where others struggle to stay alive. I mean, what makes a cactus able to survive in the desert? Basically, they have this unique ability to store the CO2 that they need at night. 
They don't have to get it during the day. They do it at night. And then during the day when the sunshine's available for the energy they need, they draw from that stored CO2. And then they can photosynthesize without having to open their pores. I don't know if that's a word, photosynthesize, but it'll work. Uh, So they don't have to open their pores during the day and lose all their moisture. Because they can do it because they got it during the night. That's different. That's not how normal plants are. They're built different. Um, Also, another quick example is I like uh, Tacomas, Toyota trucks. I've been driving them for a number of years, okay? Pretty capable off-road vehicles. Decent, you know. I've lifted them, put big tires, gone off-road in them. They can do okay. But my son has a Jeep. Now, not a big lift, not big tires. Watching a Jeep drive off-road is a whole different thing. I watched him go over stuff off-road that I was like, I ain't going to make it. I ain't going to do it. And then he and goes, I'm like, you know, jaw drops. It's like, why? Because a Jeep is just built different. I mean, I, I, I'm a Toyota guy. I'm a Tacoma guy, but I'll admit it. It's built different. So the bottom line is that there's a difference. We've been talking about a scripture. Let's look at it in Matthew 7. That's been our basics, uh, our basis for this whole uh, series. And it says this in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the, rain, when the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So week one, pastor told us that a great life isn't found, it has to be built. That was the main point. We have to be intentional. It has to be intentionally developed and worked out over time. That's the way life works. Just believing isn't enough, right? Because faith requires application. That's what we said in week one. Now, I'm just running through these real quick. Week two, we said it takes small, consistent, repeated steps over time to produce growth. It's, it's not the big blowout. Thing. It's those small, consistent, repeated steps over time that produce growth, making the right habits a part of our daily life. We talked about them. We talked about having a daily devotion, Spending that few minutes in the Word, spending that few minutes in worship, spending that few minutes talking to our our Creator. It doesn't have to be complicated. Pastor talked about how simple it can be. And then engaging with other believers, engaging with them on on a personal level, like, hey, what's going on in your life? This is what I'm going through. That is invaluable. That's why we do life groups here. And then giving generously, giving generously. So there's these habits these small steps that we do repeatedly that, that, um, that make a difference in our life and builds a great life. There comes a point in that our belief will have to challenge our behaviors. Because if it doesn't, then we're doing it wrong, right? Week three, we talked about Jesus won't do for me what he's given me the ability to do for myself. He's given us all authority. He's given us all authority, but we have to pick it up and use it. It was kind of like a tool, you know? 
How many of you seen somebody struggling to open a box and it's like got all that heavy duty packaging tape and they're like, I mean, anywhere around here, you try to open a box and you're having trouble, like 15 guys going to flip out a pocket knife and like be ready to help you, right? I mean, some of them are like big old, like, that's not a knife, this is a knife, you know, and it's like, it, it, I'm serious, it gets kind of, you got to watch it. But there's a tool, and then the, and you see the person still struggling, like, no, 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 I got it, you know, and they're ripping and veins popping out. They're trying to open that box, and they just won't use the tool that's right there in front of them. And we have to be careful that God's given us the authority. We have to use it. We have to pick it up and use it. How? By knowing God's Word, by applying it with faith, believing, by declaring it, by praying it, and by stop accepting or stop tolerating anything less than God's best. Those were the things that, that help us to, um, to do what we need to do with God's authority. You, what you think matters, what you believe matters, what you say matters, what you pray matters, and what you allow matters. So today we're talking about built different, but we're going to look at a specific application of these principles. We're going to look at family. And even if you're kids are maybe grown or maybe you're still single or whatever there's something in here that's going to apply to you okay we're talking about family you've got family extended family you got there's or you got people that are like family to you but there's there's things in God's word that apply no matter where we're at in in this area of our life and so everyone wants a great family but you know just like a great life a great family doesn't just happen. It has to be built. I'm going to say that again. A great family doesn't just happen. It has to be built. We have this vision for our life, our family, our relationships, but we get discouraged when it gets messy, right? When it doesn't look like the picture on the Lego box. I loved Pastor's illustration last week about the Lego box and the picture and the pieces and all that stuff. And if you weren't here, you need to go back and watch it. It doesn't look like, we get discouraged when it doesn't look like that, or when it doesn't look like Cindy Lou's Facebook status, or their Instagram posts, or whatever, you know? We get these false expectations from social media, we get these false expectations from Hollywood. You know, everyone has issues. Even Blake and Ryan have issues, okay? I know everybody's like, OMG! Hashtag goals! You know? Y'all don't, okay, that, yeah, that was lost on a lot of people. It's all good. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. It's all good. So how do we make sure our family is built different? That it will stand up to the storms, right? See, the company I work for, we do, um, we do designs. We design, uh, like, equipment and piping for the refineries and the plants and stuff. And we do, like, detailed engineering designs, like, to the point where it's like we analyze every little stress on the pipe and stuff. So, like, if there's heat or if it's going to bend and all this stuff, we want to make sure that it's going to go in right, fit right, and not break. So we do all this design work, okay? Well, roll back a few years to this company I used to work at. Okay, so it was like, all right, we need to go from there to there and just get her done, you know, and it's just... And almost zero engineering and basically a trial and error effort. And when something starts leaking and it cracked or whatever, oh, we need to try that again, do it a different way. You know, that's okay if you're building a birdhouse, not a refinery, okay? And not a family, not a family. That's not okay if that's how we take that shotgun approach or that trial and error approach 
for building our family. Everyone wants their family to be better than average, better than the, the rest of the culture, but then they go around making the same choices and, and taking the same path as the rest of culture, following the norm. But you know what? Different results require different approach. Built different. You know how some houses just have more character than others? They just, I don't know, there's something about them. Um, like, it's, it's just, all, you know, all the, you know, some neighborhoods that have all the cookie cutter houses and stuff. But then you got these, these certain houses that just have a ton of character. And they're not like all the others, you know. Why? Because they use a different blueprint. You know, they, they, they use different features, different angles, different styles, different colors, whatever. In our lives, we can't just do what everyone else is doing and expect a better outcome. We have to use a different blueprint, right? Uh, let's look at a scripture in chapter in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Uh, I love the way this tells this uh, or speaks to this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to culture that you fit into it without even thinking. <clears throat> Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. That right there is a mouthful, but it is amazing scripture. Hold on. So as Christ followers, we have a different source of wisdom, right? We have a different source of wisdom. We can't just follow the wisdom of the culture because guess what? It will bring you down. Some of it's okay, but in general, overall, if you follow the cult, just the culture of this, the you know, wisdom of this culture, you're not going to end up where you need to be. So as Christ followers, we have a different source. Our family is blessed when we build it God's way. In Psalm chapter 128, there's a scriptures here that talks about this. It says in verse one, it says, the Lord will bless you if you respect him and obey his laws. Your fields will produce and you will be happy. All will go well. Your life, your wife will be as fruitful as a grapevine. And just as an olive tree is rich, rich with olives, your home will be rich with healthy children. This is how the Lord will bless everyone who respects him. You can't build your family according to the values and systems of this world and end up with a strong, godly family. The, the scriptures laid out here, there is a, there is a blueprint. Um, but we think, well, you know, the loudest and most popular voices in our culture must be right, right? I mean, no. I mean, the problem is we're modeling our lives after people who are secretly miserable. We're looking at these people who have these loud voices in our culture, celebrities and all this stuff, and deep inside, it may look like, oh, yeah, they've got it all together and hashtag goals and all this stuff, but there is issues, and some of them are even secretly miserable. Some of them are openly miserable. We've just seen that. Yeah, anyway, let's not even go there. 
But if we would pay attention, God puts people in our lives who are actually good examples and role models. He puts people in our lives who are good examples and role models. But sometimes we end up making fun of them or we ignore them because they're older or they're not, you know, they don't wear the stuff we think is cool or attractive or whatever. But you know what? God's placed people in your path. He's placed people that you can look to, that you can um, get help from. Who are you going to for advice? A wise person once said, seek counsel from those who've been where you are and are now where you want to be, not from those who are still where you are. We go to our friends sometimes, and we ask them, and they're still in the same spot we're in, or worse, and we're asking them for help in our relationships and our family. Right? I mean, where's the wisdom there? I love what the Life United Ladies Group just did. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but they like got together and said, okay, I've been through this. I have grown in this area. I have struggled with this and I've overcome. And then you had other ladies that said, this is what I'm dealing with. And they got together and talked about it. That's amazing, right? That's how it's supposed to be. Find people, your peers, your, the people in your groups, the people here at church. That's why we do life groups. It's so amazing to see people doing life together the way God intended. So what is God's way? What does he say about family? Let's look in Colossians chapter 3. There's a few places in Scripture that Paul talks about this. And he lays out the, uh, the rules for households and, and families and stuff. But let's look in Colossians 3, chapter uh, 3, verse 18 through 21. It says this, Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. All right, stop. Submitting. Before you guys get all macho and be like, yeah, that's right, send her back to the kitchen, make her go change them diapers, make her take care of them kids. Before y'all get all, you know, on your horse about that, it does not imply, when the word submission does not imply that she is less than you. The Bible is very clear. I know Old Testament, there was some some certain culture and stuff, but the New Testament is very clear about the equality of men and women. Very clear. But submission means that even though they're equal, she chooses to set aside her agenda to follow his leadership. That's submission. That's biblical submission. It's not, oh, she got to submit to me. No, it's she chooses to set aside and support your leadership. Now, guys, it's your role to make sure that you are followable. Your leadership is, I'm going to make up all kinds of words today, so you're just going to have to bear with me. Um, next verse, husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Don't take advantage of them. Don't make it all about you. And I'm preaching to myself too. We have to sacrifice some things in order to cultivate God's character and God's plan in her life. We have to sacrifice sometimes. Sometimes it takes sacrificing a fishing trip, a hunting trip, 
extra work to get ahead on a Saturday or whatever we were, whatever was in our plan. Sometimes we have to sacrifice that. And sometimes it takes laying that aside for her to spend a day at the park with her or to spend a day going to Hobby Lobby and Target with her or to spend a night with no kids, with no TV, with just all 10 phases of phase 10. If that's what she likes. And after that, talking about your feelings, if that's what she wants to do. Sometimes we have to sacrifice. God, I know some of you guys are like, I'm out of here. I'm done. You done crossed the line, dude. So go all out. The thing there and where Paul talks about it in another book, he talks about basically treating her like you would your own your own body, like your own basic physical, like I need to breathe. I need food. I need to sleep. I need all this. That's how much the care that we take towards our own self, our own body is the care that we should put towards our wife. Next verse, children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Teenagers, are there some, there's some few of them in here. Your parents are not stupid. God gave you your parents. There are times when your parents mess up. We, we're, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But God has placed you with your parents for a reason. God's placed you where you are because he has a design for your life and it involves your family unit. I know you're like, man, I really wish I could trade up. I really wish I could get rid of these units, these parent units. I, God's placed you there, and God loves it when you obey, when you do what your parents tell you. It delights God, even when it seems like they don't know what they're talking about, even when it seems like they're being stupid. It delights God when you obey. Next verse, parents, don't come down too hard on your children. You'll, or you'll crush their spirits. You know, the problem may not be that you have a disrespectful spouse or rebellious kids. It might be that we're being too harsh. I don't know, just something to think about, you know. If we come down too hard on them, it could embitter them and frustrate them and even turn them off towards God. We have to be careful, parents. Um... Proverbs 22, we all know it in verse 6. It says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. And I like how the message uh, paraphrases it. It says, point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. It's important as parents that we, that we do these things and we follow this blueprint, right? God's laid it out right here in black and white. So, few things, two ways to approach family and relationships. There's two ways, God's way and the world's way. The world's way says, let your feelings be your guide. If it fails, repeat the process with a different person. God's way says, let God be your identity and your source and make you into a different person. I've, I've heard this saying, various versions of it, but basically it says, heal because your children don't deserve the broken version of you. God needs to work something in our, if, if you've got issues that we need to work through in your, in your life, emotionally, spiritually, 
go ahead and work through them because your children and your family deserves the whole version of you, not the broken version of you. Did you know that your spiritual health is a major factor in God working in your family's life? We owe it to our family to have a healthy spirit. And so we need to make sure that we approach that the way God's blueprint has it. Another one, the world's way. Sacrifice family on the altar of success. It's just the way of the world. It's not enough to have a full-time job. We have a side hustle too. And some people have a side hustle to their side hustle. Because we got to make mo mo money, right? We got to get, get it. Our definition of success is all jacked up. It's normal nowadays to sacrifice our marriage for family or for business. Sacrifice our marriage or our family for our business. It's all about how much stuff we can get. We're just trying to impress people. That's not God's way. God's way is cut out the things that don't matter to make room for the things that do. Are we willing to make time spent with family and time spent with God more important than anything else? I mean, it might mean that my car's not brand new or my house ain't as big. It might not be easy, comfortable, popular, but isn't that basic Christianity? God's word says that if we're doing this life the way that it was laid out to do, that we're going to have some opposition. We're going to have some troubles. We're not going to be super comfortable all the time. If we are, we have to base, look, we, we might not be doing it right, but what God has for you is going to be different. And sometimes it's going to be lonely. Sometimes it might even, you know, there might be rejection. There might be hurt. But God has something better planned for you and your family. Don't try to build what's on somebody else's Lego box with your pieces. Right? God's peace only comes from doing life his way. God's peace will be there if you do it his way. It don't mean it's going to be perfect. It don't mean you're not going to face struggles. But his peace will be there to get you through everything if you do it his way. God never leads us into more confusion and frustration and busyness and stress. Most of the time, it's not even the enemy either. We do it to ourselves, right? I mean, life never slows down. I get it. We're busy. We're all busy. But we have to be careful that we don't get so busy with work and sports and dance and all this stuff that we lose out on what really matters. We need to stop glamorizing overworking as a culture, especially in the church. We need to stop glamorizing that. Oh, yeah, I had to work. We wear it as a badge. We shouldn't, okay? And not just work. We do that also with, you know, our kids. We oh, yeah, we got to go to soccer and then baseball and then this and that and that and that and that. And we, like, overcommit and overcommit our kids. And we wonder why they're stressed out. I'm not saying don't let them do extracurriculars and, and help them develop in areas of their life that they're interested in. Yeah, but maybe even there's a point where we have to stop and say, Maybe there's a limit to how many extracurriculars. Maybe they don't need to do seven things. Maybe we can just scale it back a little bit. I don't know. World's way. When things get rough, try going to church. God's way. Before things get rough, make God your priority. Make God your priority. We have to be faithful with the things of God if we want our children to. They need to hear us praying. They need to see us worshiping. They need to catch us reading our Bible. 
talking about what God is doing in our life should be a very natural thing. They have to conclude for themselves that our faith is real. So that one day they'll choose to own their own faith. I mean, that's the goal, right? And maybe even choose partners who do the same. I sure hope you're praying for your kids if they're still younger or unmarried. I sure hope you're praying for who they're going to marry. It's so important. Church can only do so much for them. They have to experience it at home. You know, uh, in Paul's letter to Philemon, he says this. He says, to the church that meets in your house. In your house. You know, a lot of Paul's letters were to churches somewhere. This one was different. He said, to the church that meets in your house. Is there a church in your house? And I don't mean you do this in your house, but there's part of church that you do at home. It's not just like Daniel said, it's not just what happens here on Sunday morning. It's throughout the week. And it's not just in this building. It's at our, in our home. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. It says this, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts, get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. At home. But you know what? We can't disciple them all in one day. Or even one day a week. It's not just a Sunday thing. It takes their whole childhood, their whole adolescence, and even beyond that. Planting seeds for years, sowing into their lives. Everything God does is based on the seed principle, including family. We have to plant and sow little seeds and start small. Don't try to overwhelm them with your knowledge of revelations every night. Your four-year-old is not going to get it. Plant small seeds. World's way. Let school, the entertainment industry, or the internet shape their worldview. God's way. Always actively guard and protect your family from ungodly influences. Guard the gates. Be careful what you let into your home. And listen to the watchdog. The Holy Spirit's voice that's going to say, eh, 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 not in this house. Right? By the time your child reaches 18, they will have watched roughly 30,000 hours of something on TV or screen. Probably more by now. I think the stats here were a little older. 30,000 hours of programming. And it's called programming for a reason. Watch out. Guard against attacks from without. Guard against attacks from within. Strife, unforgiveness, anger. You have to stop that in your home. Those that we, sh that we should love the most are often the ones that we fight with the most. But that's not the way it should be. Yes, there's going to be disagreements. Yes, you're going to have to work through things. And conflict resolution is very important for children to learn. Very important for families to develop. But don't give an open door to the enemy. You let that, that unforgiveness and that, that strife and all that continue. It gives the devil just a, come on in. 
Welcome. Come have a seat at our table. Don't do it. Pursue peace. Work to maintain it. Practice humility, respect for one another. Those are the things that are going to get. That's, that's what's going to replace those, those things that we need to watch out for. So, world's way. If they need me, they'll come ask. Man, I've been working all week. I am tired. I just want to sit here and binge whatever. Ozark, Game of Thrones, whatever you binge on. God's way says be present and active in their lives. Be present and active in their lives. You know, uh, one of my previous times I spoke, I, I, I kind of made fun of the, the thing that's everywhere, live, laugh, love. You know, it's kind of one of those things you have it. Live, laugh, love. It's written. It might be written on your kitchen wall. I don't know. I made fun of it. Wendy always laughs. She's like, oh, I remember that time you said that. And she just, she gets a kick out of that because anyway. Um, but I'm actually going to use live, laugh, love right now in this sermon. So whatever. Here we go. Number one, live in the moment. Live in the moment. Put the phones down. Sometimes we just have to put the phones down. The screens. We, we, we have so many, so many hours that we waste on that that when it's family time, let's put them away. Make mealtime sacred. Make mealtime sacred. You don't need the phone at the table. We need to be at the table together as a family. I know we're busy. We have stuff that goes on, and sometimes we can't meet schedules or whatever, make it match. But as much as possible, that needs to be a a non-negotiable mealtime together as a family so that we can talk and ask questions about each other's day and about what's important and what each other's interested in. Ask your kids what they're interested in. Ask them questions about it. Even if you already know every aspect of every dinosaur there is, Ask them about what's interesting to them. Even if you know everything about every member of the Korean pop band that they are so into, let them tell you again. Get that conversation flow and communication. So many times in families, it's just a communication breakdown. Laugh together often. We said live in the moment. The next one is laugh together often. Talk and laugh with at each other often. Talk and laugh with or at each other often. Sometimes you laugh at each other. Not like like hard making fun of them, but just sometimes we laugh at each other. It's good. Laugh with each other. Man, laughter is a huge, it's just a, it's a medicine, the Bible says. It's a big part of a healthy family. Have regular family time. I made, I built this loft bed for my kids. They each had one at one time. And I, you know, I don't know, the, the engineer in me, I, I, crazy, I'd go overboard and design it to like, I mean, we, the whole family would pile in these beds. We'd pile the whole, all of us in this bed and just cut up and just hang out. And just, I don't know, there's something about just hanging out together and just being silly. Don't be afraid to be silly. I know if it's not your nature, you're like, you're more stoic or whatever, Get over it. Get past it. Get over your comfort zone and just be silly with your family. And if you're tired, you know what? Sometimes we have to put that aside. Yeah, I know there's, there's times they have to understand that we need a break or whatever. But for the most part, we can have this habit of just, I don't know, being goofy together. So laugh together often. Love extravagantly. Display affection. 
It doesn't mean that you have to, um, how do I say this? Um, you don't have to like, you know, get crazy in front of your kids, but I mean, let them see you hug your wife. Let them see you hug your husband. Let them see you, uh, you know, a a smooch or, you know, a hug and a kiss. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, they kind of need it. They kind of need to see the display of affection between parents. They need, they need that affection towards them too. They need hugs. They need that attention. And so we need to, to give that to kids too. make allowance for each other's faults. We're talking about love, uh, love extravagantly, like, right? Make allowance for each other's faults. Extend grace. We're all different. Grace enables us to fit with one another and function the way God intended. We have to give grace. What am I doing? Okay. We need to affirm and bless our kids and our spouse. Affirm them. Bless them. Be positive. Speak positive over them. We need to find and encourage their giftings. Ask God, pray, God, show me what they're gifted at. Show me their purpose. Let me help me to develop that in them. And pray for them. Pray for them. There's models in scripture that we can use. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 through 19. It's not on the screen, but basically it's a prayer that we can pray over our kids. And I've prayed over mine many times. Give them, God, that you would give them spiritual wisdom and insight that they may grow in their knowledge of you. That's so important. And pray for protection over them. Pastor talked about it a week or so ago in Psalms 91. Pray it over them. Number six, blessing them with the, the Moses and Aaron's blessing. Speak it over them. Pray it over them. And then ask them to pray for you. Ask your family and your kids to pray for you. Don't just feel like, you know, oh, well, you know, it's too, whatever, I'm, I'm too, I, I need to be, act like I got it all together. No, they need to see that you don't have it all together. They need to know that we messed up. We need to tell them, hey, I messed up. Admit our faults and say, would you forgive me? Will you pray for me? There's something powerful about a kid praying for an adult. There's something powerful about that. And giving them that place in your life to know that you trust them enough to say, would you pray for me? A few more quick practical ideas. Give them limits and boundaries. They need it. Teach them it's not all about them. Teach them how to put others first. Make them do stuff they don't want to do. Go outside. Oh, not again. Work. Oh, I got to work. Read. Some of them love reading. Some of them are like hard to make them read. Clean. Oh, my goodness. Teach your kids it's okay to be bored. It's okay to be bored, to have downtime, to just be, to rest. We don't do that in this culture today, but they need it. We all need it. We need, most adults need to know this. We need to do this, not just kids. Stay in their business, have awkward conversations. Oh, mama, dad. We need to stay in their business. Teach them to obey authority. If they don't learn it in the home, it's going to carry through to school and to work and to government and all this stuff. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but we got adults that can't even obey authority, have a problem with authority. Because they never learned it as a kid, never learned it in the home. It's important. Discipline them creatively. I don't want to embarrass them, but, you know, we, we would make them do crazy stuff. 
like, oh, you're going to annoy your brother and sister? Now you have to turn, face each other, hold hands and say, I love you, sweet brother. I love you, sweet sister. Kills them. Or if they were, you know, hurt their brother, hurt their sister. All right, go get a dollar out of your piggy bank and give it to them. My money. No. Hit them where it hurts. Take trips. Take trips with and without your kids. Take trips. You and your spouse need that refreshing time, and you and your family need that time. Take trips. Now, we can't all be Kevin McAllister's dad and have, you know, take the whole extended family to Paris for Christmas. I, I get it, okay? But do what you can. Go on a fishing trip. Go take them hunting. Take them whatever, you know? It's, it's, it's do what you can with what you got. And sometimes we can afford a little bit better if, if we just prioritize there is such thing as cheap travel. It can be done if we prioritize. But take those trips and build those, build those memories. Build those memories. Family is the essential building block of human society, and it is ordained by God. It should be nurtured and protected. You know, if we evaluate the state of marriage in this culture, in this country, there's a lot to be discouraged about. You know, there's divorce and drug use and teen sexual activity and pregnancy and suicide and so many other things. It's just, there's a lot. And you may even be discouraged at the condition of your own marriage and family today. We have to remember that we are called by God to fight for our family. And we've been given everything we need to withstand an attack. If you look in Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18, this, the whole thing, he's, he's laid it out for us. Put on the whole armor. You've got everything you need to withstand the attack, right? The problem is many times we don't even realize that we're under attack because we're so distracted or so caught up in whatever. Or we decide that ah, there's no use. It's just the way it is. Apathy is a dangerous weapon of the enemy. When we give up fighting for our family. We've been given weapons and shields to stand firm. We walk by faith and faith gives us fight. Don't give up ground. Don't, don't, don't give up. Seeing God's will come to pass in your family's life. Persevere in prayer and stay confident in the process. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament where Nehemiah, uh, he, he saw the condition Jerusalem was in, and he asked to go and be a part of the rebuilding process. And the king let him go. And if you look in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, it says this, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, verse 20, rush to, who, to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. They were facing opposition. The enemy did not want them to rebuild. But he was like, we're going to do this regardless. Nehemiah looked at his hometown. And he saw torn down walls in need of repair. He knew that God had chosen him to lead the work of rebuilding. But it wasn't just a wall. He was rebuilding the lives and faith of his people. And just like Nehemiah, 
rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, you can rebuild the wall of your family. Because no matter what the enemy has done to your family or your home, with God's help, you can rebuild a fortress the enemy cannot penetrate. John 10.10 says a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come so they may have real and eternal life, a better, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The devil would love to see your family fall apart. He wants to make himself right at home and divide and conquer your family. That's what he wants. So if the home is the number one priority of the enemy, of the devil, shouldn't we make it our number one priority also? Remember, we have an all-powerful God. The Word says that greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The Bible promises that if we'll fight for our family, verse 20 said, our God will fight for us. You know, Job consecrated his children to the Lord with sacrifices. Noah built an ark to protect his family from the flood. David pursued the enemy who had taken his family captive. And the Bible says he recovered all. You can read it in 1 Samuel 30. He recovered all. So what's my first step? Remember, in building, you have to excavate before you can elevate. You don't just go build, you don't just go pour a slab. You have to take out the muck. You have to take out the the soft stuff, the the stuff that's, you know, the tree stump that's in there that's going to rot and and cause a a gaping hole. The the soft muck, gumbo mud we have down here. You got to get rid of all that, get down to some solid ground and then start building back up with some solid stuff and pour your foundation. You have to excavate before you can elevate. You may have to unlearn some behaviors, some attitudes. You may have to make some hard changes. 1 Peter 2, 1 says, So get rid of all all evil behavior. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. The first step to getting ready to build is getting rid. Clearing out space so that God can fill it with something better. Before you can be ready for what God is building, you've got to get rid to make room. 1 Peter 2.5 says, And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. God builds using our lives. He builds our family using our lives. But before you can be ready for what God is building, some things may need to be shored up. Some things may need to be torn down and rebuilt. Old habits, old attitudes. Are you determined? Are you fully committed? Are you going to be like Joshua and say, I know we've all heard this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So much it kind of almost becomes old, but there's so much to that statement, that determination. We will serve the Lord. This family will be God's. Would you stand?